Hey, it's Dan Gorenstein. Before the episode starts, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you. We launched Tradeoffs because we knew the importance of the nuances of the healthcare system, and we hoped that you'd feel the same. Hearing from so many of you over the past two months about how much you've enjoyed these stories lets us know that we're on the right track. We've got some great stories planned for 2020, but in-depth reporting like this takes time and it takes money. Please consider pitching in a few bucks to help us bring these stories to you. You can make your donation at tradeoffs.org slash donate. And from all of us, thank you and happy holidays. Today the story of two guys. Buddies, really. Right. A doctor and an economist. Who, at the beginning of their careers, set out to solve an unfortunate but pretty common healthcare problem. I have to make that choice. Well, this week I'll choose the drugs. You know, next month I'll choose the food. If you have to choose between managing your diabetes and eating, it's a choice you should not have to face. That's Harvard economist Mike Chernow. He and University of Michigan's Dr. Mark Fendrick have now spent 20 years pushing one simple idea. We just said that the good stuff should be more accessible than the bad stuff. Fendrick and Chernu, two guys few of us have ever heard of, have actually changed the way insurance works for millions of Americans. But they still haven't solved the problem they've been working on for most of their careers. From the Annenberg Studio at the University of Pennsylvania, this is Tradeoffs. The show where we make sense out of the complicated, costly, and often counterintuitive world of healthcare. I'm reporter Dan Gorenstein. And I'm health economist and physician Bapu Jenna. What troubles Fendrick and Chernu is that high deductible insurance plans don't cover most costs until you've first paid thousands out of pocket, pushing people to cut back on the stuff they actually need. More than 70 million Americans today have this kind of health plan. The two believe things like insulin for a diabetic, an inhaler for someone with asthma, or preventative screenings, the good stuff, should cost people pennies, even if they're in a high deductible plan. This is a story about how they've tried to translate that belief into real policy change. It's also the tale of two friends who don't always agree. It's a buddy movie. Mark, the happy optimist, Chernu, the cold realist. Here's how Chernu puts it. Mark is the head of the slinky dog. I'm the ass. Mark runs ahead. We get all stretched out. And then I catch up to him and smack him from behind. These qualities are so pronounced, friends and collaborators nicknamed the two Tigger and Eeyore, the Winnie the Pooh characters. It's part of their shtick and their charm. So is the arguing. kind of tax evasion by private employers. So, you know, you watch Mike, he could roll his eyes, which he typically does. No one's evading anything. You don't even mean loophole either. Not deferred. There's a, they call it a tax uh, Mark Fendrick and Mike Chernu have been arguing with each other and trying to redesign health insurance since the late 90s. As a doctor, Fendrick practiced medicine under a strict code. I am the clinician who is the first to say you don't need something done to you. You don't need that diagnostic test. You don't need that drug. You don't need to go to the doctor at all. But every once in a while, there will come a situation where a clinical service is deemed to be, in my opinion, so valuable. I use the term, you know, I will not let you leave my office until you agree. As he studied his craft, Fendrick quickly realized some care is underused. Lots of people who need insulin don't get it. But other care is overused, like vitamin D screenings. All of it 
costs money, and some patients don't have it to pay. A patient of mine had on her refrigerator a note saying, under no circumstances are you to call an ambulance for my asthma because I can't afford it. Then a severe asthma attack hit. She was found dead in her apartment. And maybe one of the reasons that she died that day is because she did not reach for 911 and have an ambulance take her to the hospital, but instead was willing to take the clinical risk, but she was clearly not willing to take the financial risk, which she knew of that day. Again and again, Fendrick's patients were skipping out on the care that he and the patients agreed was important. Not just dramatic emergencies, but basic care. Eye exams, cancer screenings. The biggest reason? They couldn't afford the copays or deductibles set by their insurance companies. How dare you not cover those services generously in your insurance product? Fed up, he headed here. To Kang's, a tiny Korean place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He vented to his new friend, Chernu, a young economist getting interested in health policy. When you get your PhD in economics, you learn a lot of economics, you know nothing about healthcare. And it turns out the central part of healthcare actually is healthcare. And at the time, all I could pronounce was aspirin. Over Bibimbap, the doctor launched in. He explained all about how insurance plans were making it harder for his patients to get high-value care. That out-of-pocket costs like deductibles and copays gave his patients hundreds, sometimes thousands of reasons to just say, sorry, doc, can't do it. The economic unfairness hit Chernew. If you're going to give the patient a deductible and they get cancer, you are just taxing people who get cancer. And so we do tax patients with cancer. We tax patients who get heart attacks. We get tax patients that get hit by a bus. We tax those patients because we have not come up with a better insurance scheme. So what would a better scheme look like? They started with Fendrick's code. The good stuff should be more accessible than the bad stuff. So the basic idea was let's just try and remove the financial barriers to the things that we're trying to get all patients to do. The kind of evidence-based stuff, medication for heart disease and diabetes, that everybody agreed would improve people's health. And studies showed, just like they do today, these people with chronic conditions weren't taking their meds that they needed. So what if workers who had high deductible plans through their jobs could get these drugs super cheap or even free without triggering that deductible? The more the friends talked, the more Fendrick, Tigger, wanted to jump. As is often the case, Mark plows ahead with ideas, and I sort of follow along skeptically. In 2001, Fendrick and Chernew published what would turn out to be their first draft at a new kind of plan. The insurance company, or the employer, would eat most of the costs for these certain drugs so that they would be free or nearly free for the workers. We were probably the first two academics that thought this basic idea was worth actually writing down. The paper helped generate buzz for the concept that today is called value-based insurance design, or VBID. We always wanted it to be like radar or scuba, which are acronyms, but people don't even know what they stand for. So it's our hope that VBID just starts a life of its own. But you, you think VBID might become as ubiquitous as scuba? No, no, well, we no, I, no, we don't. I said like that. So far, VBID has fallen short of household name status somehow. But when she stumbled across it, Jill Berger got excited quick. We knew that we had a lot of people on our health plan that had chronic conditions. Um, And, you know, not just one chronic condition necessarily. 
Jill ran benefits for the hotel chain Marriott in the early 2000s, and she was hearing some scary stuff from the nurses who were managing their insurance plan. They would report some people calling saying, look, I am on six different drugs a month. My wife is on five different drugs. Um, I can't afford all of them, so help me decide which ones we should take this month. Based on Jill's recommendation, Marriott offered its employees their brand name medications for diabetes, heart disease, and several other chronic conditions at half price and made the generics free. Fendrick and Chernu evaluated Marriott's new insurance design and found about a 14% jump in people filling their prescriptions. We know healthier employees are happier. They are more productive. Happier employees treat their guests very nicely. For the duo, this was more than a back-of-the-napkin sketch at Kang's. This represented a real-world win with a clear take-home. The evidence is incredibly strong that if you make people pay less for something, they'll do more of it. So that's basically where we close the chapter on VBID, the early years. You know, hearing a bit more about VBID's story makes me realize what separates these two from most other health policy researchers and academics. And that's that they've conceived of a single important idea. They've thought through the mechanics of how to implement it. They've worked with companies like Marriott to roll it out and then rigorously evaluate it. There are plenty of people in our field who've never done anything like that. And for all their hard work, this is what they got. Thank you. Today, after all the votes have been tallied, health insurance reform becomes law in the United States of America. Section 2713, or the VBID provision of the Affordable Care Act. Section 2713, the VBID section. It's less than one page of the 974-page health care law. And while Obamacare's future remains uncertain, VBID has indisputably already had a huge impact, even though most people don't know anything about it. Over 137 million Americans now have access to about 100 different high-value services, That includes things like screenings, immunizations, preventive services, and counseling, all for free. The first line of my academic obituary is going to be our work to produce a small section of the Affordable Care Act. (laughs) That might come off as a bit grandiose, but Fendrick's got a point. The Kaiser Family Foundation reports that about 76 million people got access to services like the flu shot and counseling to quit smoking because of the VBID provision in the ACA. So the ACA made lots of good screening and prevention accessible for patients, but it didn't do anything to help access to other treatments, even essential treatments like insulin. I have received countless messages from people saying, thank you for the free mammography. I now can't afford the cost of my biopsy and surgery. Thank you for allowing my relative to have access to free colorectal cancer screening. I now have to get a second mortgage on my home to pay for chemotherapy. But Fendrick and Chernu weren't finished. When we come back, we'll hear how the pair tried to fix the flaws in VBID's design. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So, on the heels of the good, not great results from the ACA, Mark Fendrick leapt into Tigger mode again. He continued to beat that V-bid drum. High-value services for key chronic conditions should come with almost no out-of-pocket costs. He persuaded the Obama administration to run a pilot in Medicare. The National Governors Association endorsed the concept. Officials in Oregon, North Carolina, Minnesota, Kentucky, and Tennessee all adopted some element into their insurance plans for state workers. And here's where VBIT is interesting. Fendrick and Chernu's goal all along had been to improve people's health. But for the government officials, insurers, and employers who were attracted to VBID, better health was the means to a much more ambitious end. Improving health as a way to save money. To better understand the motivation of a VBID client, let's look at Connecticut. Right. Connecticut turned to VBID during a budget crisis with pressures to lower health care spending. Tom Woodruff oversees the state employee's insurance plan today. People were delaying preventive care, and then they were later in life, utilizing specialists to manage chronic conditions, and that that was very expensive. Woodruff and the team decided for people already sick, the state would lower co-pays for drugs and certain services to treat chronic conditions. That's 100 percent pure VBID. Yep. But Connecticut also decided they'd promote primary care and screenings. The idea was that if Connecticut forced people to have regular checkups, they would catch problems like high cholesterol and prediabetes before they blossomed. And if they did that, they thought they'd save money in the long run. That's VBID-ish. For good measure, they added a penalty if people didn't show up for those. We set a rule that if any one family member was not 100% compliant, the employee would have to pay $100 more a month for their health insurance. A few people let Tom know how they really felt about these mandatory physicals. People were emailing me digital images of their colonoscopies saying, look, I did it. I had another one, a dentist, who sent me this x-ray like this big of someone's head, proving that they didn't have any teeth and therefore didn't need a dental cleaning. Rich Hubbard was one of the state employees who really didn't like this new plan. Rich is the webmaster at a community college. Hey, Richard. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, It is a windy morning. When he met me at the Bridgeport train station, I saw just how large a figure he cuts. 6'3", 6'4", huge hands. I didn't sleep too well last night with all the wind. For years, Rich had made a habit out of staying away from doctors, willfully ignoring his weight problem. That was only getting worse. Faced with the choice of a $1,200 penalty or a doctor's visit, he figured better to go see the doctor. The last time he'd even stepped on a scale was at the Y a few years before. It was one of those where you slide the metal piece along the bottom in 50-pound increments, and the smaller piece goes from 1 to 50. The scale topped out at 350 pounds. Rich weighed 345. So 
that was scary to me to see this almost at the end. You know, I didn't see myself as some of those other people who are in wheelchairs and can barely move, but I was probably getting to the, to be that point because, um, you know, I had trouble. Um, I mean, I could walk, but it's just I would feel tingling in my legs and feet, like pre-diabetic, I'm sure I was. Rich had set up the appointment for early January 2012. Nervous, he braced himself for the doctor's prognosis. He told me I was morbidly obese, so there, there was my confirmation. Somehow, morbidly obese unlocked something in Rich. Hearing this doctor say those words helped him do something he hadn't been able to do on his own. Get serious about getting healthy. Uh, the first year I lost 120 pounds. And um, gradually over the next year is another 30. For more than six years, Rich has weighed about 200 pounds and he's avoided his healthcare nightmare. I would have been full-blown hypertensive. I would have been diabetic. And I'm so grateful that I avoided that. And if it wasn't for the physical, it would be a much different story now. And it was all because of the insurance forcing that physical that really changed my life. Now, when you talk about chasing the healthcare holy grail, Improving care and lowering costs? Look no farther than Rich, right? Right, I get it. Rich clearly is better off, which is terrific for Rich. And across the country, the high-value services Fendrick and Chernu had championed were doing terrific things for lots of people. But let's be clear. All that high-value care guarantees people get more care. It does not guarantee saving any money, which is part of what employers and insurers were chasing. The main reason why VBID programs have not moved forward as quickly as I would have liked is that when people buy more of the good stuff, the total cost of care goes up. The friends realized if their goal was to have VBID be as ubiquitous as scuba, I said like that, the time had come to pivot. You have to identify and make it more difficult for Americans to purchase care that we shouldn't buy even if it were free. In 2017, they figured the best way to make essential health care cheaper would be by making the kind of health care people really don't need more expensive. There's more than enough money in the system, and hopefully if we could reallocate it to the things that are more health-producing and away from those that are not health-producing, it is an important step forward. They called it VBID-X. Maybe that one's going to catch on? Probably not, but under the new VBID-X plan, they jack up the prices on the stuff that's often unnecessary, possibly even harmful, the care that's widely agreed to be low value. If people insist on this low value care, they pay for it. That's the idea. That money is then used to pay for the statins, insulin, and other services everyone agrees will improve health. You can think of it almost like a tax on people who use low value care. Fendrick and Chernu convened a task force to help them identify low value services to target. I wanted to call it the Waste Task Force, but WTF was already taken. <laughs> WTF. Okay. The VBDX team chose four services, including vitamin D testing and proton beam therapy for prostate cancer, that would not be covered by insurance at all. But they were well short of the dollars needed to offset the cost of the more than 20 high-value services they wanted a VBDX plan to cover without any cost to patients. So there's a lot of low-value care out there. Here's the catch. There's never a clinical service that is ever always high value or low value. It's like rich, right? 
The annual exam did him a whole lot of good and probably saved Connecticut a lot of money in the long run. But for young, healthy workers, those mandatory exams were probably a waste of money. After lots of actuarial agonizing, the group picked six other commonly used services to modestly raise out-of-pocket prices on. Things like high-cost imaging for low back pain and lab tests for people getting low-risk surgeries. Now, the price increase may hit the few consumers who do actually need those services. Nevertheless, VBIT-X has piqued the interest of some insurers and employers, and Fendrick thinks it will be on the market by 2021. The two learned a long time ago to hedge their bets. At the same time Fendrick and Chernu designed VBIT-X, they were also pushing for a change to an IRS rule that made it very expensive for people with chronic conditions who had popular high-deductible plans. Specifically, the rule said that until people had met their deductibles, they had to pay the full price for services related to their chronic conditions. And this July, in an unremarkable document titled IRS Notice 2019-45, Fendrick and Chernu got their win. The Trump administration changed the rule so employers and insurers can now make these services low cost or free before the plan deductible is met. The potential impact is a lot of people with chronic conditions will save a lot of money and be able to treat their conditions a lot more effectively. As of right now, the rule only applies to 14 services. But Fendrick is back in Washington this week even, pushing to grow that list. Several companies, including Chevron, have already adopted this change for 2020, and Fendrick expects at least a dozen more by 2021. It's hard to predict, though, how many employers will actually follow through, particularly because more high-value care would likely increase their costs modestly, but still an increase. Chernu says if businesses want to help their workers, specifically the ones with asthma, diabetes, and heart disease, this is a no-brainer. Especially, he said, compared to other benefits employers offer, like wellness plans that encourage healthy habits like hitting the gym. The wellness plans feel good in a whole range of ways, but if you look at the randomized trials of wellness programs, you don't see a really big bang for the buck based on who takes them up and how effective that is over long periods of time. On the other hand, if you get people with diabetes to manage their blood sugar well, or if you get people with heart disease to manage their cholesterol or blood pressure well, there's really good evidence that that really works. All this work they've done, it sounds important, and it is. But Dan, I know some economists out there are wondering, how much does this really bend our cost curve? Yeah, Chernu's right there with you. I'm sensitive to the person listening to this who thinks about all the problems in healthcare, and the episode comes off as, we have finally, after 20 years, made a ton of progress to solving the problems of the American healthcare system. If you had to ask me if the American healthcare system is better off now than it was 20 years ago, no, it's probably worse off. Chernu later told me our system probably is not worse off, but his point is this. If you want to talk about big reductions in what the country spends on health care, you've got to talk about prices, namely what we pay doctors and hospitals. When it comes to VBIT-X, even if it's picked up far and wide, he says, we're looking at a small, small dent, a little more than 1% in total spending. Of course, Fendrick says in future iterations of the plan, the potential is much greater if insurers and employers get more aggressive about going after that low-value care. Either way, at its core, VBIT reimagines a product, health insurance, for the people who need it most. 
at a moment, says Fendrick, when that product provides less and less value for more and more people. As Americans have been asked to put more skin in the game, and as cost sharing has gone up, people have bought less of all the things I beg them to do. And this is the motivation of our two decades long advocacy program to ensure that Americans have access to those specific services that we know will make them healthier. For all their progress, Chernu says solving the problem is still a ways off. But if anything, he and Mark Fendrick remain committed. Unlike a race, because the race metaphor assumes that you get to the end and then you can, you know, drink some Gatorade, have some carbs, shower, and go about your life. The healthcare system's not really like that. So what I'll tell you is we are uh, 20 kilometers in in a race of unknown length. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. One other quick note, we're off for the holidays, but don't worry, we'll be back January 2nd. Until then, I'm Dan Gorenstein. I'm Bapu Jenna, and this is Tradeoffs. Thank you for calling TNO Insurance, where your health matters. Please hold. Your call is important to us. For questions about your claim status, please press 1 for Courtney Summers. To report a lost or stolen ID card, press 3 for Emily Patterson. For meditation inspiration, including double rainbow picks, press 5 for Jessica Silverman. For concerns about the hold music, press 7 for Andrew Perella, Ty Sitterman, and Andrew Bacon. For recommendations on the best bibimbap restaurants in your area, press 8 for Leslie Walker. For questions about group enrollment, dial 9 for Jody Becker, Graham Ball, Gray Milkowski, Hunter Mitchell, Kara Gavin, Heather Klusaritz, Amitabh Chandra, Kate Baker, Jill Horowitz, and the Tradeoffs Advisory Board. To speak with our underwriting department, including the California Healthcare Foundation and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, press 11. For the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics and the Center for Public Health Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania, press 12. The views expressed here are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders. For all other questions, please hold, and a representative will be with you shortly. Do you know how difficult it is to not use heroin? Like, I can't believe I haven't used heroin in seven years. Opioid addiction has spawned controversial laws that force people into treatment. I'm alone. I'm scared. I'm stuck here. I'm never getting out. And that was my mindset. States grapple with compelled treatment. Are they helping people or putting them at greater risk? Next time on Tradeoffs. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.